You're listening to the HSDNA Podcast from the Garden State. Your host, Justin Starbird, and guests from HS Design walk you through each step of the medical product development process. Listen in as they discuss topics like contextual research, human factor testing, and conceptualization, giving you the best practices and real examples of success in the field. And now, here's your host, Justin Starbird. Welcome back to this episode of HSDNA. My name is Justin Starbird, and I get to welcome back to the podcast, Michael Quinn. Michael, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. I, you know, it's been a little while since you and I caught up. There's been a lot going on. HSD is, you know, certainly gone through some changes. You've added to your title. <laughs> how, you know, tell me how you've been, man. So it's, uh, it's been uh, quite busy. Um, as you know, about a year ago, we became part of the Steripak Group, which is a, uh, a global contract manufacturing organization um, for medical devices. Um, and it's really, you know, uh, helped accelerate our growth. Uh, it's given us access to the global markets and uh, clients um, that we wouldn't have had access to ourselves. So it's been very, uh, um, very busy, but busy in a good way. Yeah. Well, that's great, man. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what you're working on now, um, your, your title, and uh, help us reintroduce you to our audience. Sure. So my title is uh, Vice President of Design and Engineering, um, and my focus is on the design and development branch of um, uh, Steripak here in the uh, U.S. primarily. Uh, most of that's still focused here at HS Design, but we, we also have other uh, folks around the country um, working in design and development now. And um, a, a huge part of what I'm doing is as we grow, we're trying to build out the uh, structures, the uh, processes that allow us to continue operating, um, I'll say on our A game, uh, but with multiple teams of mm -hmm. uh, designers and developers and across a broader swath of projects and keep control over that. Um, you know, it was easy when we were smaller to keep that control keep that high quality of, of product. In our case, our products are design services. Um, as we're growing, that's, that's a huge part of my uh, focus is keeping that quality uh, as, as, we, um, as we bring on people and as our clientele uh, evolves as well. Absolutely. Well, you know, you say quality and putting systems in place and, and sometimes, uh, you know, you're in a space that requires some, you know, agility and the ability to adapt relatively quickly, you know, and, and a lot of times being agile and having regulations don't always play nice. How do you, you know, deal with the two sides? Well, that, that's a great question. Um, so as everyone probably listening to this podcast knows, medical device development and manufacturing is highly regulated. Everything has to have a process. Um, what we've done to date is try to keep our quality systems, uh, which are compliant and certified to ISO 1345, we've tried to keep them as lean and as targeted as possible for the type of work we do. Now, we have to be agile in our development processes in so many different uh, layers and dimensions. We have to be able to adapt to a client's uh, processes. Um, but for clients that don't have their own, we have to bring ours to bear for them. 
Um, but that's not the only aspect. You know, people who hear agile, they think software programming. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really something we apply to all of our uh, development processes, whether it's mechanical engineering or design and development or, or even software and electrical uh, uh, in the traditional sense. But you said it doesn't play well with the systems. And that's because the traditional quality systems are very um, thorough, <laughs> very uh, uh, linear in how they're laid out. Um, meaning you do one thing first, then you do another thing, you go through the phase gate, and then you have all these documents, you have to put a check mark through, you have to have plans to say which documents you're doing and rationale and other ones that you're not. There's a huge amount of structure mm -hmm. that you have to build for each project that is documented, and then you need to follow it, which means you can't be agile, or at least that's what tends to happen. Right. So yeah, there's, there's conflict between that agile methodology of development and the regulations on how to do development. And that's where we're really walking a tightrope or a razor's edge between the two. Let me ask you, you know, re you know relevant to current events, um, has that methodology changed at all through COVID or has there been any lacks, uh, you know, in bringing products to, to market or is it, you know, what has that um, space been, you know, for you over the last two years? Well, it, it, it's funny, you should mention COVID. Um, we, we've worked on several COVID projects and it's actually amped up the need for both aspects, both the quality documentation, as well as the, the ability to develop quickly and retire risks in the development process quickly because if you don't retire those risks you can't get that product to market but at the same time you can't even apply for an emergency use authorization without the quality documentation so it's really this pressure cooker both have to happen and they both have to happen faster than they ever did before um, which is uh, a challenge to say the least yeah I, how has that made your job, you know, do you, more difficult? Has that be, been you need to add more people? Has it been you need to spend more time on it? Has it delayed development at all? What are the what are the ramifications of all this extra documentation and you know the the need to put systems in place? Um, what we've tried to do is not let it slow down development, um, but rather we have had to add uh, more people. Um, and that includes on the quality aspects so that we can write the plans and um, execute to them while the engineering teams are doing what they've always done, which is that agile development methodology. Um, and at the same time, we've had to be very diligent and careful about updating our existing standard operating procedures and work instructions to make sure they really reflect what we want to be doing and need to be doing at the same time. So we've been, we've been improving our, our written documentation. We've been putting in more um, resources to basically follow the engineering team and then teaching the engineering and design teams uh, how to document what they're doing with the least amount of overhead to their daily tasks. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's been an all of the above type uh, 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 implementation. I think where where it's really 
um, been a challenge is getting those additional resources because everyone in the industry seems to be vying for them at the same time right now because they're all trying to do the same thing as as we are. Right. Oh, I think that's every industry, right? Yeah. So, uh, so let me ask you then this about that. Um, you know, you're talking about uh, being compliant and making sure you're following you know protocols. How do you try new things? Um. Well. We, uh, we try new things outside of the um, official SOP and work instruction. So we'll put a work instruction or a draft SOP out there. Um, and, and we do that based on feedback from our team. Here's what we'd like to be doing. Here's, here's what we think we need to do for this aspect, whether it's um, testing or design verification plans or, or even human factors testing. And so we'll, we'll draft that document. and. Um, before it becomes enshrined in our systems, um, we, we test it in, in a project that is, a, is, is flexible enough to try something new. So this is where we have to be um, diligent and also um, mindful that we can have a plan. There's always some wiggle room in that plan and that's where we can, that's where we can play is within that wiggle room. Mm -hmm. uh, and after a few trials of the new procedure, um, you know, we get together and we can say, hey, do we want to really make this the new way of doing whatever that task is? Sure. So almost like running two projects parallel and bringing in best ideas and then almost um, reverse engineering them to include the processes, processes into uh, the actual product development. Exactly. You know, you mentioned before that you don't accidentally walk a razor's edge and you need to be purposeful in all of your actions. How do you, as a leader, not just of, of HSD, but in Stereopack, but of the industry, really, you know, how do you help disseminate that, uh, that need down into the, uh, to the folks that are actually doing some of the work? Um, well, first is to get their input. So it, it shouldn't come as a surprise when we are, are implementing a new way of working because that new way usually comes from the team themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, that, that's keeping our ear to the ground, that's having our project managers and even all of our designers and engineers and researchers really able to come to us and say, hey, I, I'd like to be able to do this, this, and this, and here's why. So it starts from the bottom. Uh, then we then we do that draft procedure or that draft work instruction, uh, and you know the the quality um, uh, leadership in our group has to check that against all the regulations that we're operating under. Right, we have to make sure that it's compliant with 1345 and compliant with any FDA or uh, EMA regulations that we need to operate within. And then figure out how we prove that we're going to be compliant. So even if the procedure's there, we we still need to understand we're going to put this in writing. We're going to run a project. An auditor or a client is going to say, "How do you prove you're you're complying with your own procedures?" And so there's a, there's that whole thought process uh, that has to be worked out. And we're we're very careful about that. Once we think we have it um, right, we bring it then to the team have them review it, have the subject matter experts within the teams um, go through it and make sure they're comfortable executing on it. And only then will we, we actually sign off on the procedure and 
formally train everybody to that new um, way of working. Sure. I got to believe it's it's different too as you're going through some of the protocols, whether it be you know unpackaging you know nuts and bolts versus some electronics uh, device that you're going to need um, to to use and and testing it before you actually implement it into your your project. How do you get people excited about uh, you know one versus the other? I mean, it's a lot more fun to play with a new toy versus the the nuts and bolts that come in packages. Well, um, getting them excited, I mean, they're always excited about what, what we're doing um, more often than not, but getting the, um, I'll, I'll give an example. Um, you know, we have to have an inspection procedure for either of them. So that inspection procedure that comes in for the nuts and bolts has to be, is, is basically the same procedure as what they would use for that high-tech device. Right? Maybe it's a, a fancy new form of linear actuator or motion controller that's coming in. Um, and uh, what what we need, and 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 really again, it's that razor's edge. Is that inspection process has to be nimble enough and uh, quick enough that the engineers will do it for those nuts and bolts because it's so easy to do. Why not? Mm -hmm. You know, it's they're they're required to do it, um, but also robust enough to capture what has to be inspected for that high tech device, and um, you know. Very, very few of the engineers get really stoked about the quality procedures. I feel I'm doing my job in that realm if they comply with the procedures without even thinking about it. Yeah. So that's that's what makes me happy on that end. Um, I don't think I don't think any engineers get stoked over the paperwork. <laughs> right. I, I no, no. Who who would right? <laughs> uh, well, with that though, it, you know, getting them. Uh, to, to just do it as second nature, um, you know, how does that actually affect the end product and, or, you know, how does that, you know, improve uh, the deliverables that you come up with? And, and one of the cool things, I mean, I see, you know, not to go off on a tangent here, but, you know, to see how your team, you know, works with your clients to solve the world's problems that most people don't even know exist. You know, I, I just think that that's that is, that part is so cool. And so, you know, how how do these systems play out as you are you know working to solve these things? Sure. So th there's two aspects to that, um, that that I'll go into. The first is the procedures are there to ensure we are designing the product in a way that's traceable and um, reduces the chance that a product will get to market with uh, risks to the patient or risks of uh, functional failure or use errors, whatever the, the um, uh, problems could be in any, any given medical device. So those procedures are there to, to enforce good design practices. Um, luckily 1345 is written in a way that it doesn't, it doesn't dictate exactly what those processes are, but they, there's, a, there's a general framework and it's up to firms like ours to define those processes. So, it's enforcing best practices. And, and so by following our own procedures, um, we reduce the likelihood of something getting out to the client, the old, our ultimate client and, and the users down the road that isn't appropriate for the, the task that they're trying to accomplish. So that's, that's the end product um, benefits for our own team, um, having these procedures well-written, having them flexible, but um, 
you know, specific enough to actually be uh, uh, actionable, right? But procedure is so vague, you, there's there's nothing there. It's like design. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What does that mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't have a procedure that says design, right? You got to break it down. And and when done right, those procedures and work instructions can actually act to teach new employees and and uh, uh, reteach uh, existing employees what their work actually has to entail and. And that takes a lot of ambiguity off the table. It takes a lot of the um, uh, uh, fishing around for those wrong templates or, or, or creating templates that don't need to exist because we've already done them. So when, when well executed, it reduces um, that uncertainty and it reduces the overhead of dealing with that because we have a good and pressure tested method for design. So, you know, you go and you're talking about a lot of uh, the benefits of it. And on, on one hand, you know, we, we see that in the, you know, end product that we, that we hold in our hand or surgeons are using or, or, you know, what have you. But on the other hand, you mentioned earlier that it also sometimes stifles creativity. And, you know, how do you, if you had, if, if you're a director <laughs> and you had your druthers, how would you make changes or, or how would you encourage companies to still keep that sense of accountability, uh, traceability, um, going back and, and making sure that uh, their actions can be replicated and, uh, you know, get the same result at the end of the day, but improve the process to, I mean, really, there's a number of reasons, right? It could be improve morale, improve cost, um, improve the ability to, you know, turn out new solutions, and even bring potentially more people into the into the space to solve those problems that are maybe scared off by those um, restrictions. What would you change? Um, well, and, and I've, I've seen quality systems that, that can be very um, onerous, on the development team. Uh, in those cases, you know, the, the can't change those systems. Uh, they're not my own, but uh, the way a, a company can reduce the likelihood of, of becoming so caught up in the quality documentation and the process documentation is to um, limit the number of people that have to sign off on documents to just the ones that are really necessary. You know, you don't need 26 signatures on a document. There's probably four, maybe three people that really need to review it. And you don't need everyone on, on you know, you shouldn't see, you know, five signatures on a, on a 2D print because probably only two of them really, really understand what they're signing off on. Um, and, and also um, making the, forms, making the templates and making the processes that people have to use day in and day out as simple and as straightforward as possible. Um, well, don't they say totally, being, being simple is, uh, is the highest uh, form of, of uh, intelligence is to make it as simple as it needs to be, right? Right. Because if the, if the engineers, the designers, the technicians don't want to use those processes, they're going to find ways around it. And that's the other side effect of too onerous of a quality system on the development side is that you'll find people working outside the system to get the speed that they need and to be able to do things they, they feel like they need to do to develop it 
And so you have this sort of like this underground development path going on and, uh, and it violates all the systems and usually isn't following best practices to boot. So it creates very bad habits uh, when you have two owners of a system. So the key is to keep those forms simple, make them available, make it easy for, for engineers to pull up, fill them out and get them circulated. And whether that's through software or just, just really you know, concise writing, um, you, can, you can take down, you know, it, it, there's a very small difference between a system that's smothering and one that's operating well. And that difference is in those templates, how they're worded, and just those everyday little things that, that would, if done wrong, build up day after day after day and make someone go, I got to work outside of the system or else I'm not going to get anything done. Right. So who ends up asking for these documents and, and checks them over at the end? Is it, is it you? Is it, is it the, your clients or is it the, uh, the regulatory? Who, who is it? It's, it's everybody. So um, we police our own um, projects uh, and we have to, to remain compliant. Um, uh, and to remain operating at a, a high quality. Our output to our clients are the designs, but it's, we're a service organization. So, you know, our metrics are not just the, a good design, but a happy client. So we have to police, we have to make sure we're doing what we say we're doing. Um, but then um, we are audited. Uh, we, we have a, a notified body that comes in once a year and audits our systems. And many times throughout the year, clients will come in and audit our systems often before a project and sometimes during or after a project. Uh, so we are constantly showing off our, our quality system and evidence of compliance to a variety of um, uh, different organizations. Does that impact uh, you know, uh, client privilege or does that, does that impact secrecy at all? Does that impact your, this HSD secret sauce? Uh, well, we keep, client uh, information uh, proprietary. So one client will never see another client's information. We need to show evidence. Um, we, we will uh, pre-approve showing certain documents, but uh, we, we take a very, very um, strict approach to the non-disclosures that we've signed with all our clients um, and, and the notified body as well. So uh, from that aspect, um, you know, we, we're, we're covered. Um, so it makes it easy to be able to open up and have people come in because you, you have those systems in place <laughs> to, to allow right. for that. Right. Got it. Great. Well, you know, there seems to be, you know, this ability that you have to, you know, kind of oversee, um, you know, all that goes on in terms of, uh, the systems and procedures that you, that you've built. Um, where do you see areas of improvement for, for HSD? Um, well, we're always looking to improve. Um, that's actually part of the quality system is to always look for ways to improve. I think as, we've, as we're um, evolving, becoming a larger organization and are now tied in with um, Steripac, uh, more than ever, we're looking to um, bring the products that we're designing uh, through some of the later stages of design and development, such as design verification uh, and qualification. Um, and so we're building up our systems around that. Um, our clientele is, is, is 
uh, evolving as well. And, and while we're still working with many um, startups, uh, we're also working with companies that, that um, have uh, very robust quality systems. And so uh, where, where we're working right now is to harmonize the best practices from Steripack and HS Design, since we're all one group now, to uh, make use of the best aspects of each of our systems and make sure that everyone in the organization is able to use them. So um, Kappa management, uh, customer complaints management, training, that's all being upgraded uh, to um, make it easier to track, easier to manage and uh, more effective than it ever was before. That's great. You know, it's really neat to hear in the, you know, I know you and I talk more often than we do podcasts, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's great to be able to, you know, hear uh, the freshness in your voice and the excitement that you have for, for what's going on now. There's, there's certainly been a lot of changes and it's, it's really neat to see it all kind of come together. Uh, it absolutely is. Um, but it's, it's always evolving. So there's no standing still in that aspect of, of what we do. I know not for ourselves and not for any of our clients either. Yeah, especially with this world that's changing so quickly right now. Um, it's been uh, really neat to see HSD continue to be you know, ahead of the curve. Well, thank you uh, so much, Mike, for, for joining me today in the latest episode of HSDNA. I really appreciate it. You bet. My pleasure. All right. Until next time. This has been the latest episode of the HSDNA podcast. On behalf of our guests today and host Justin Starbird, thank you for listening. As always, to listen to other episodes of HSDNA, go to hs-design.com and scroll over the HSDNA tab on our menu. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>